Lord, we thank you for today. God, we thank you for blessing us in more ways than we can count. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for loving us, Lord, even though we don't deserve it. Thank you for your grace, your mercy. Um, You're just so kind to us, Lord. We can't say thank you enough. And Lord, we just, um, we give you this time. We worship you. We glorify you. We pray that your word would penetrate our hearts, that you would encourage us today, that you would give us joy as we just sang, Lord, that you would renew a right spirit within us, that the joy of the Lord would be our strength, that you would renew the joy of your salvation, Lord, in our lives so that we can sing to you, so that we could praise you, so that we can be lights as we should be, Lord, in our church, in this world around us. So, Lord, forgive us where we've fallen. Forgive us where we come short and help us, Lord, to be more like you. We pray, Lord, for our country. We pray, Lord, for our world. We pray that your gospel would permeate the hearts and lives of those in our community, Lord, and our nation and around the world, in the Middle East, everywhere, Lord, that they would know the Prince of Peace before it's too late. And so, Lord, use us. Help us to be your hands and feet in whatever ways we can to be part of your gospel, your mission for your glory. So bless this time as we get into your word. May we exalt you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of today's teaching is Put On Your Best Clothes. Put on your best clothes. I actually had like seven different titles. I don't like to spend a lot of time on titles. I just like to pick something real quick. But for some reason, I kept changing it up. But Put On Your Best Clothes is the title. And as I was putting this together, I looked up the words online, expensive shoes. I don't know why that came to my mind. Google's very dangerous for me. I share this from time to time, but it's like it was a certain movie where it said squirrel, where the dog just kept looking over here, and that's how I am online. If something comes to my mind, I look it up. So if you look at my search engine throughout the day, it's just I'm driving. It's like, oh, how much is that car? Or, oh, how much is that house right there? Or, oh, what's the weather going to be tomorrow? Or what's And I'm just constantly looking up things throughout the day. And so there is some correlation to this message, as you'll see. But what I looked up was the words expensive shoes. If I spend more than $60 on shoes, I can't sleep for a couple nights. I'm very frugal when it comes to certain things. And I'm actually very inconsistent because I'll take Leah to dinner and I'll spend from time to not very often. Like we'll go to Crave and spend 80 bucks or whatever. And I'm like, oh, it was a good dinner. It was a good. And I'm like, 80 bucks, it's gone. Shoes can last years, but I can't spend more than $60 on shoes. I don't know why. But here's some of the shoes that I found online when I typed in the words expensive shoes. You have the Adidas Men's Yeezy Foam Runners. Those are going for $799.99 on Amazon if you want to go there. You can get the Nike SB Dunk Low Civilist Men's Shoes. Those are $1,910 on Amazon. You can get the Rick Owens Black Oblique Tall Boots for $4,730 on Sense.com. Or you can go with the Stefano Ricky Men's Matted Monk Strap Shoes. It's real crocodile, $7,250, Saks Fifth Avenue. So start saving. Now, I thought those were a lot, $7,000 for a pair of shoes. Wow, it's amazing. But then I looked up the bread. Air Jordan 13s. These are the actual pair of shoes that Jordan wore in game two of the 1998 NBA Finals. They sold earlier this year for $2.2 million. That's an expensive pair of shoes. He did sign them, so got that 
2.2 million dollars crazy stuff why am I talking about expensive shoes that I could never afford well we've been working our way through the book of Colossians and if you haven't got it already it's all about Christ right every teaching that I've been giving on Colossians is reiterating the fact that we need to know Christ that we need to know who we are in Christ that our identity above all is in Jesus Christ he's our identity he's our hope he's where our salvation is found he's our future he is everything he's where our security is found and I think it was last week where we talked about or two weeks ago set your mind Paul's imploring them set your mind come on lift up your heads to heaven Colossians set your mind on things above keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God our temptation is to keep looking horizontally to keep getting our eyes fixated on the things of this world that will bog us down and that will get us all anxious and worried and Paul saying look up set your mind on Christ seek him and then last week we talked about put this off put these things off put these things on we, we had some lists that we looked at last week wear this spiritually speaking this is what you want to wear if you're a Christian this is what you don't wear this should not be a part of your life I don't know if you guys have Christmas lists or if you do that um, we do that with our kids although it's like two things usually maybe a couple more than that but Leland he's if you ask him what he wants for Christmas he'll give you like five pages of things and it, he's always adding something to the list if he got his way and with his grandparents Mike and Lisa and my mom he would he wants the newest bike every year the newest bike the newest scooter the newest thing the newest gadget the newest watch the newest um, whatever it is and it's crazy and as I was just thinking through this you know God gives us list so to speak in scripture in Colossians 3 he gives us a list right this is the list of things you don't want in your life and this is the list that should make up your life if Christ is in you if you're clothed with Christ this is the list that you should be eager for this is the the list that you should be eager to look over and to say Lord help me to apply this list in my life so that it will be a blessing to me, a blessing to my church, blessing to those around me, so that it will bring you glory. Last week, the list started in Colossians 3.5. There was five things that Paul listed for us in the Colossian church. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, greed, which amounts to idolatry. And then he added to that in verse 8 of Colossians 3. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abuse of speech, and then verse 9, he says, lying, lay these aside, put these aside. S more strongly than that, he says, put them to death. Consider yourself dead to these things. In the book of Ephesians, he says, don't even let these things be named among you. Don't even let it be said that any of these things are taking place in your life. Now, we're not perfect, but we want to put on Christ. We don't want these things to be part of our lives. So we want to put them aside. That's our old man our old nature so we looked at those specifics mostly last time it was putting these things off this week it's okay what what do I put on I'm a Christian I want to live for you Jesus I want to be more like you what does that look like what does it look like to put on Christ 
and the good, the good news is that it's free. It's a free gift. Put these things on, it's free. You don't have to spend $1,600, $1,900. You don't have to spend $2 million. It's a free gift. You get to save a lot of money and put these things on. It's all free. Life-giving, Christ-exalting, unity-building attributes. They're yours and mine to have in Jesus Christ. He's the new life that we all need. Galatians 3.27 says this, For all of you were baptized into Christ, and you have clothed yourselves with Christ. A lot of the past tense in Scripture, you have been saved, you're being saved, you have been clothed with Christ, now continue to be clothed with Christ. Continue to put on Jesus Christ. It's something that we must be taught. It's something we must grow in. It's something we must pray for and learn how to do. It doesn't come naturally to us as Christians. So the text we're looking at today is Colossians 3, 12 through 7. Our desire is to have Christ's mind, Christ's heart, Christ's attributes in our lives. We're going to look completely different to the world. You're going to be called a fool at times. You're going to be called a fundamentalist at times. You're going to be called a weirdo or whatever. The more you look like Jesus Christ, the more you're going to look different from the world and it's going to be a shock to them. I thought of like a person wearing a ski suit in the summertime, walking around. Just wh- what what are you doing? You are so different. And it's, I have a lot of weird illustrations today, but we want to be so like Christ and so different from the world. Yes, we want to reach them. Yes, 1 Corinthians 9, we want to become all things to all men so that we can save some and build that bridge to get the gospel to them. But we want to be so much like Christ convictionally, morally, in holiness, that at times the world is going to say, you, you're different. Why, why are you different? Like Peter says, they're going to ask you about the hope that's within you. How are they going to ask you? Because you're living like them, cursing like them, yelling like them, in immorality like them, or because you look like someone else? So that's the goal, to look like Christ. Colossians 3, 12 through 17. It says, and so... Or therefore, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on or clothe yourselves with a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. As a parent with young kids, getting them dressed in the morning is very difficult. It's very crazy at our house. If you're there at around 8, 8.30 to 9, it takes around 45 minutes. It should take like five minutes. But, you know, getting Leland to comb his hair and getting Mercy, you got to change her diaper. And then she's running over here and doing this. And But Leland and Verity, they want to get themselves ready. They think that they can get themselves dressed. And if we let them, it would be a complete mess. They'd wear the same things every day. They wouldn't comb their hair 
They'd go out in the snow with flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt, probably get frostbite if we let them. And actually, we thought that happened to Mercy last year. We were at an outdoor event. It was really windy, and she just started screaming. And I'm like, I think she's like, I don't know if I said, I think she's getting frostbite. I ran to the car with her and turned on the heater. And Leah, we thought about it, and Leah goes, no, she just wanted to go down the slide again. That's all it was. She got down the slide and was screaming, and she doesn't usually scream like that. So we're still learning. But here's the point. We're God's children, okay? We, we think we have it figured out at times. We don't realize how much we need help, so to speak, getting dressed spiritually. We, we should long to grow in maturity in the Lord, but we need to realize that apart from Jesus and his help, we're nothing. That's what Jesus said in John 15. I'm the vine, you are the branches, abide in me. You will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. We can't do anything spiritually apart from him. So we need Colossians 3. We need, we need these texts to remind us of who Jesus is. We need to be reminded of his voice. Now sheep, they aren't the smartest animals, but they know their master. They know the master's voice. They hear another voice. False shepherds, they're not typically going to follow. They're going to follow the one that they're used to hearing from the one that they're used to following. So we need to hear God's voice. That's why we're going to get into let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. We need his word to dwell in us. John 10, 27, Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Where do we hear his voice? Not by gazing at our navels and just sitting in the corner and saying, I want to hear his voice. No, we hear his voice primarily through his word. We need to meditate on his word day and night. We need to be in fellowship. We need to be feeding ourselves in Christ's word. So this section of scripture could really be summed up in put on Jesus Christ. That was going to be the title. Clothe yourselves with Christ because it's all about putting him on. It's a summary of Romans 13, 14. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provisions for the flesh in regards to its lust. So if you're to put on Christ, now what does that mean? What does that look like? What does that look like practically? Well, Colossians 3 and our text today. First, verse 12. You see five things listed. This is what it means to put on Christ. Specifically, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, what is compassion? It's tenderness, tender-heartedness, showing mercy to others, weeping with those who weep. What's kindness? It's goodness. It's, it's useful service to others. Humility? Lowliness. Looking at yourself in light of who Christ is. No matter what you accomplish, what you do in life, how smart you are, you say, compared to Jesus, I'm nothing. That keeps you humble. Philippians 2, you consider others more important than yourself. That's being humble. Then we have gentleness here. What is gentleness? It's meekness or power with reserve. It's having strength but knowing when to apply the strength. It's, it's knowing when to flip over tables and when to hold a child in your hand and bless them. When to hold your disciples and when to rebuke them strongly and say you don't know what spirit you're of. That's gentleness, strength with reserve, power being held back. 
And then you have patience. Patience in the list here, which means to hold back anger, very similar to gentleness, but the Greek word is actually macrothumia, long anger, two words put together, long suffering, able to suffer long without an outburst of anger, without losing your self-control. These Several of these are listed in the Galatians 5 and the, and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, things that we can only do through Christ in us, the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And so when we think of these qualities, these first five qualities listed, who's the most compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient person that we know? And of course, it's Jesus Christ. He made time for those who no one else made time for, right? The overlooked, the oppressed. He got close to those that no one else would get close to. When you look through the Gospels and the lepers are coming to him, people would run for their lives. You don't get, you don't get near a leper. Yet when you read the scripture, Jesus touches them. He approaches them. He gets near them. He came to seek and save the lost. He was clothed with humility. So what comes at the beginning of verse 12 and most translations is therefore or and so. So it's a transition from verse 11. In light of verse 11 and this list that Paul gives us, circumcised, uncircumcised, and Jew and Greek, Scythian, barbarian, slave, free, all one. Christ is all. He's in all. He's in all of you. He's the the uniting factor in the church. In light of that, you need to have these attributes towards one another. Compassionate toward one another, kind to one another, humble toward one another, gentle, patient, and so forth. And then right after that, therefore, he says, you have been chosen. Some people read that and go, man, chosen. What does that mean? I've been chosen? Am I the chosen? How do I become the chosen? Scripture teaches us in 1 Peter 2.4 that Jesus is the chosen one. 1 Peter 2.4 says, Jesus was rejected by men, but he's chosen of God. 1 Peter 2.6 says he's a chosen stone, a choice stone, a precious stone. So when we put our faith and trust in Christ, you are now the chosen. You don't have to guess. You don't have to say, am I chosen? Did God choose me? Did God pick me? You're chosen if you put your faith and trust in Christ. He won't reject you. If anyone comes to me, I will not cast them away. So if you have your faith in Jesus, if you trust in him, you're chosen because you're in the chosen one. I love Revelation 22:17. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. God commands all men everywhere to repent. He's calling the whole world, come to the water, drink of the water, eat of the bread of life, Jesus. Become part of the chosen. Many are called, few are chosen. Many are called, many reject the message, and therefore, they're not part of the chosen. We're chosen if we believe in Christ. So he's the chosen one, and then we see holy. Verse 12, you've been chosen, you're holy and beloved. These are all titles of Jesus. Jesus is the holy one, Acts 3.14. Jesus is the beloved one, Matthew 12, 18. So Paul's saying, since you're chosen in the chosen one, since you're holy in Christ's holiness, since you're the beloved in the beloved, now live out these Christ-like attributes. Put on Christ. You're his. You identify with him. 
as the chosen, the holy, the beloved. Now be compassionate and kind and humble. Live out who you already are in Christ. For some reason, I had a dream last night that I was playing college baseball again, and it's because I, whenever I look at these put-on texts, I think about the uniform that I used to wear in baseball and how if I told you I was a Christian or if I told you, and the illustration is, if I told you I played on Cal Lutheran's baseball team and at the time, if I said, come watch the game and you look out there and you see me in the dugout and you see me wearing overalls and you see me wearing a cowboy hat with cowboy boots, you don't see me on the field, you might say you snuck into the dugout but you're not on the team. You're at least not playing today. You don't have the uniform on. So get the uniform on and do what everyone else is doing because that shows you're on the team. Where's the proof here? There's no proof. And as Christians, it's like there's so many people, I'm a Christian. If your life doesn't look like Christ whatsoever, then you have to doubt that. You have to wonder if you call yourself Christ and you say you're part of the chosen and the holy and the beloved, holy means different from the world. And if you do everything the world does and you want to do what everything the that the world does and you don't want to be more like Jesus, then at some point you have to say, what team am I on here? Am I on Christ's team or not? I want to desire to live like him. Doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect at these things. Doesn't mean I'm always just bubbling with compassion and humility and kindness and with in every interaction that I have, but that's my goal. That's my pursuit. I want to live out a life that's pleasing to the Lord. And that's Paul's prayer in Colossians Chapter 1, verse 10, I'm trying to memorize this prayer. He says in chapter 1, verse 10, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And the prayer goes on. He says, that's, that's my prayer for you, Colossian church, that you may please the Lord in everything, that you may walk in a manner that's pleasing and glorifying to God. That should be our hearts. So when we look at verse 12, we see that Paul says, put on a heart. Clothe yourselves with a heart, some with a heart of compassion. And it's, it's this Greek word, splangnon. It literally means your bowels, your intestines. The King James says, the bowels of mercy. Put on the bowels of mercy. And it's, it's most times that this is translated in the New Testament, or several times at least, it's talking about your physical intestines, your bowels, your kidneys, your hearts. And in a graphic picture is in Acts 118 when Judas, it says, and it says this in Matthew 27, 5, correlated with Acts 115, that Judas, when he hung himself, that he fell headlong, and it says his splangnon burst out. His intestines were told. His insides, bowels, burst open. And the field was called the field of blood because of the blood that spilled out from his body. So Paul is saying, put these things on in the inner man, not not literally in your intestines and in your your bowels and your but as deep as you can within your heart. These aren't just superficial attributes that you kind of just slap on and you know deep down within your soul. And this word splangnon is used in Philippians 1:8 when Paul says for God is my witness how I long for you all Philippians with the affections the splangnon of Christ, the heart of Christ. And also in Philemon, when Paul has to give Onesimus back, or Philemon, sorry, back to Onesimus, he says, I'm sending to you my splangnon. He says, I'm, sp- I'm sending to you my affection, my heart. 
He's, he's part of me. I don't want to give him up, but I'm sending him back to you. So I think that's important to remember in this passage. Put these things on, particularly compassion, a tender, merciful heart. Put it on at the deepest level of your soul. What's the context? As I mentioned, verse 11, Jew, Greek, Scythian, barbarian, circumcised, uncircumcised, slave man, free, all one, all one in Christ. And I looked up what a Scythian is. You guys study Scythians all the time? Is that something you do on your free time? Okay, me neither. But what's a Scythian? Scythian was a a tribe of nomads and warriors from Siberia. These men were known as like fierce hunters, warriors. Some of the commentaries I have read, I don't even want to share with some of the things that they would do to their enemies. They were the wildest of barbarians. They made barbarians look tame and educated and intellectual and sophisticated. They were uncivilized savages. Okay? So Paul's saying, oh yeah, so you have Scythians here that have accepted Christ. You imagine like I don't know what comes to my mind, like a Stonehenge, Stone Age man walking in like with a big piece of chicken and just sitting down in the seat here. And you're like with a big long beard and just ready to go hack down a tree or something or hurt somebody or in their time kill someone and do crazy things. And Paul's saying, you're one with that person now. You're not above that person. You're to treat that person with respect and honor and be united to them. And they might have some baggage that they're bringing in the fellowship. They might have a little, you know, some of us are like, man, I have a crazy past. Or imagine some of their pasts. Maybe he walks in like, I've killed 100 people in battle yesterday, but now I accept Christ. You're like, okay, nice to meet you. You know, I was, I grew up in a homeschool family and uh, watched VeggieTales my whole life. You know, differing backgrounds going on here. Paul's like, there's going to be division at times. There's going to be things you disagree on or, you need to clothe yourselves with Christ. You need to have tender hearts and be understanding and long-suffering and go the extra mile for each other because you're, you're so different in so many ways. But the one thing that matters most is you know Christ. He's the bond of unity in the fellowship. And when you look at the early church in Acts 2.46, it says daily they were meeting, daily in the temple, daily going house to house, daily breaking bread. So it's one thing if, the guy walks into the church and you see him for an hour and a half on the weekend and you go, okay, I can be compassionate towards him. But imagine spending every day with this person, eating meals with them, praying with them. When you rub up closely with people long enough, you're going to see the deficiencies in others. So when we look at verse 13, we look at verse 14, Paul continues, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. If you're part of the church long enough, if you desire to get to know other believers, which you should, you're going to disagree with people at times. You're going to be offended or offend. You're going to hurt others or be hurt. You're going to be bothered or you're going to bother others. It's inevitable. The church is a family. Does your, has your spouse ever bothered you before? Have you ever disagreed with your spouse before? If you're married, okay, if you're not, I know you think it's all roses and everything's just, you know, 
I've heard that from people. I'm never going to fight. This, I'm just so in love. I'll never disagree. Or, and then it's like, just give it a couple years. It's like, why'd you leave the comb out? Why'd you leave the toothbrush over here? Things, and people told me that when I got married. I'm like, no, that will never happen. And then it's like the simplest things. I heard of a friend of the family. I think one of the, the one spouse was eating grapes in bed, and that was just the thing that put the other. I was just talking. To, I was talking to Lee about this last night. I was like, remember when we heard that one of the spouses was e- one was eating grapes in bed, and the other was like, "You put those grapes away right now." Like that was the thing that really bothered them, and I can relate. Like no eating in bed. Okay, you eat at the kitchen table, maybe on the couch. That's my rule, but we let that slide in our house. We all have things that maybe bother us, rob us, uh, rub us the wrong way, things we disagree with, and that takes all these things in the list here. In our homes, in our church, in our world, we need compassion, we need tenderness, we need kindness, we need to constantly, it doesn't come naturally. We need to look at Christ, we need to meditate on his word, we need to pray and say, Lord, help me to apply these things in my life. We need help. So the fact is, the closer you get to others, the more closely you see their imperfections. Just a fact of scripture, it's a fact of life. The more you get close to people, you might see really good things about them too, but it's gonna become more apparent where they're not like Jesus. And so with that, the closer you get to Christ, the more you and I should see our own imperfections. So we need to stay in that mindset. The closer that we get to others, we need to stay close to Jesus as well so that when we see their imperfections and when they're not adding up, we're, there's Jesus right next to us and we're reminded, oh yeah, I don't add up in this, this, and this, this, and that either. So we're going to be more patient and kind to them because we know and have seen how kind and patient and compassionate Jesus is towards us. We know how much we've been forgiven. We know how much we've been loved. So then we can extend that to others. We need to let those things sink in, I believe, first before then we follow and fulfill verses 12 and following. Is there anything that we've done that God says, I'm just not going to let go of that? I'm going to hold a grudge against you, Nick, because you remember what you did? Now, our hearts can condemn us at times, the scripture says. First John says, but God is greater than our hearts. We look at the things we've done or our heart tells us this. Listen to Micah 7.19. It says, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Can you imagine getting to heaven and God says, I still can't believe you did that. Remember what you did? I'll be bringing this up again in a couple of years. There's no time, right, in heaven. But can you imagine God just bring, bringing things back up? No. He doesn't remember our sins anymore. And that's actually an attribute of love in 1 Corinthians 13. Love keeps no record of wrongs. In our flesh, we want to. Remember you did this to me. Remember you did that. And it's not that we've just totally forgot it. It's going to be there. But just as God remembers our sin no more, we want to be able to move past the things where we've been hurt by others with the Lord's help. Hebrews 8.12 says, I will remember their sins no more. You know, it took the death of Jesus, right? The innocent, 
son of God to bring forgiveness about in our lives. And we need to know, we need to know this, that it's going to take the death of ourselves, the death of our fleshly nature to be able to truly forgive others, to show compassion to others, to be kind to others. That's what it means to put on Christ. We can't, we can't just think, oh, this is just going to be easy doing these things. It's going to come naturally. No, it, it's only by the power of Christ in us to be able to do these things. So we look at verse 14. This is very key to this passage. The NASB says, beyond all these things, put on love. These are all summed up in love. Love, you could say, is the peak Love is the pinnacle. Love is the Mount Everest. Love is the greatest. It's the first in the list of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. It's what brought Jesus into this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? It's what kept Jesus on the cross. It's what secures our salvation, Romans 5, 8, and 9. And then you have 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Faith, hope, and love. These th three things abide, but love is the greatest. The greatest of these is love. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. By this, by knowledge, by your intellect, by your fervor, by your zeal, by your commitment, by your discipline, these are all important by this, by your love for one another. By your love, people will know that you are my disciples. And then, of course, greater love has no man than this, than when lay down his life for his friends. You want the definition of love? You just look at the cross. You want the definition of love in your life? Crucify your flesh daily so that the power and the love of Christ can pour forth through you to others very important so like I said it doesn't come naturally Paul just could have skipped from Colossians 2 and Colossians 1 the rich theology that we see there as he's lifting up Christ and expounding who Christ is and he he could have just gone right from there to chapter 4 and just said his farewell address but he gives us these practical ways of life that we need to be reminded of because they don't come naturally for us we need the encouragement we need the exhortation we need the reminder to live like Christ because when you turn on the TV, when you go on the internet, when you go out into the world, when you watch most movies, you're not going to be hearing these things. Even when you go into many churches, some of them don't teach these things, right? The practical ways that Christians should be different from the world. There's a lot of false advertising going on, so to speak. We don't want to buy into it. We want to be more like Jesus. Let's look at verse 15. There's just three verses, three verses left here. Verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. I'm always looking for sports illustrations in Scripture, and right here, you could, it could actually be said that we all need an umpire. When, if you look up a Greek lexicon for the word rule there, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, it's actually a word that means having an umpire and someone who makes a decision. It's brabuo is the Greek word, and it speaks of an overriding call. 
Paul's saying you need someone to override your heart. Your heart in this world is going to be uneasy. It's going to be anxious. It's going to be troubled. It's going to be worried and stressed out and all over the place at times. You need someone, you need an arbiter to come in like an umpire and make the call. That's the peace of Christ. You need to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's what Paul's saying here. You need to let his peace take over. You need Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And Philippians 6 talks about praying with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, making your requests known to God. You have to pray down peace in your heart. You need to draw near to God. You need to do it with thanksgiving, and when you do the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your heart and mind in Christ. Like I said, it doesn't come naturally. We need to pray for these things, desire these things, be eager for these things. Ephesians 2.14 says, Christ is our peace. Now some commentators with verse 15, they're asking, is it talking mostly about inner peace? Is it talking about having that peace with God and no anxiety and worry and fear of the world? Is that what Paul's saying here? Or is he also talking about having peace with your neighbor? Because when you read right after that, it talks about you were called into one body. For you were called into one body. So let Christ's peace rule in you, in you because you were called to a church. You were called to a body of believers. So I believe it's both, right? We need to have the peace of Christ internally so that we're all not we're not all disheveled and freaked out and all over the place in our hearts, so then we can now have peace with those in the church, peace with those in the body. So Ephesians 2.13 says we've been brought near by the blood of Christ, and so it's been said, for every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Every time you look at your heart and you see it going all over the place, you look at your life, you look at your shortcomings, you don't want to look there too often. You want to take a quick look there and you want to take 10 looks at Jesus and be reminded of who he is, what he's done, how he's pursued you, he loves you, his arms were stretched out on that cross for you and that he's paid the fine for your sin, your shortcomings, and for where we've gone astray, our sin was laid on him. We need that constant reminder in our lives. Ephesians 2.17 says, He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. So because he pursues us with peace, we pursue others with peace as well. We talked about this crippled man in 2 Samuel chapter 9. His name was Mephibosheth. We talked about him in the men's group a couple weeks ago. And just a quick reminder of that story. He's a crippled man. He's from a wasteland called Lodabar. He's from Saul's lineage, which is an enemy of King David. King, most kings just wipe out the lineage of an enemy or those who are perhaps trying to take over your kingdom or restore it back to the former king. Yet David, at the beginning of 2 Samuel 9, says, Is there anyone of the household of Jonathan that I may show kindness to, that I may sh- extend peace to? Is there anyone out there? He doesn't know who Mephibosheth is. Mephibosheth's over, over in the wasteland. Sounds like barely surviving. So David sends out his delegates and his servants. Go find someone from Jonathan's household. I want to extend peace and kindness 
to them. So the servants go out and they bring back this cripple who falls at the face, who's facing towards David. He falls on his face before him and he goes, who am I, a dead dog? Who am I that you're going to even allow me to be in your presence? And David says, don't fear. I'm going to restore all of Saul's land and his possessions. You get that. You're going to get his, you're going to sit at my table. You're going to feast with me. You, and Mephibosheth's just overwhelmed. Wow. A dead dog like me with no hope, no future. And now I get to sit at the king's table and eat the best of foods. And I get this land that's going to be, I'm going to have servants serve me. This is amazing. And part of this story is knowing who we are in it. We're not David. We're Mephibosheth. We're spiritual cripples. We have no hope without Christ. We have no future without him. We don't deserve anything. We're going in no direction. And he says, I'm going to show peace to you. I'm going to extend kindness to you. You're going to eat at my table. You're going to sit in heavenly places with me. You're going to rule and reign with me. I'm going to bless you and show my kindness to you for all eternity. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him in Christ Jesus. He wants us to be so overwhelmed by that fact that we're like Mephibosheth constantly, not just at one point in our life, but throughout our life saying, what do you have to do with a dead dog like me? I don't deserve this. I don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve being brought into the family of God. I don't deserve heaven. That's true humility. That's what we need in our lives. And it's then, and if we stay in that condition before the Lord with humility, we're going to want to extend peace to others. So I think that's what's going on here where it says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and in the church body. We're going to be way more ready to extend kindness to others when we understand how much kindness and peace God's shown to us. So just three verses to go along with this. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. And then Hebrews 12, 14. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. So the question is, in your friendships, relationships, and in the church, in the world around you, when you extend peace to others, does that guarantee peace? Does that guarantee that they're going to say, oh, you, you're forgiving me, you're, you're loving me, you're extending peace, compassion towards me? I'm going to extend it right back to you. No. Sadly, it doesn't always end up that way. We live in a fallen world. We're sinners. Other people are sinners. And that can hinder us from wanting to do that. There might have been a time or two in my marriage where I said, I'm sorry, honey. And maybe she didn't give me the response I wanted. And so I said, okay, I'm not sorry. She's done that to me as well. She's not here, so I can say that. But it's like, wait, you're going to, that wasn't a true apology. That, you weren't truly extending peace here because you didn't hear the response that you wanted to hear. So now, oh, we're, we're back to our little disagreement. God wants us to get to the place where we're extending that olive branch, so to speak. We're saying, I'm, I'm forgiving you. I'm showing peace to you. And you can smack me in the face and make fun of me. It's still going to be there. Why do we want to do that? Well, once again, we look at Jesus. And when Jesus was writing into Jerusalem on a donkey, he's fulfilling Zechariah 
chapter 9, 9 and 10. And it says this in verse 10. He will, he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. He rode in Jerusalem in peace, not on a white horse, but on a donkey. It was a symbol of peace, salvation, forgiveness. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who stones the prophets, kills those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather you together as a hen does her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Your house is going to be left to you desolate. You're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's extending peace to them, knowing they're not going to give it back. Forgiveness, salvation. He's extending it. What do they do to him? They spit on him. They mock him, belittle him, beat him up, put him on the cross, and mock him some more. While he's on the cross, he's still extending peace to them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And today, he's still extending peace to his enemies. That's the example. That's the peace this world doesn't know. That's the peace that we need in our hearts, our lives, to extend to others. doesn't matter how people respond to us. doesn't matter if they extend the same forgiveness or love or compassion back. We need to have that kind of heart. That's what it means to put on Christ and to let his peace rule in your hearts. Last two verses here, verses 16 and 17, and then there's that little phrase at the end of verse 15 as I get ready to wrap this up in a couple minutes. What's that little phrase at the end of verse 15 and a theme that runs throughout these two last two verses? Thankfulness. It says, be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Three verses, three times he mentions thankfulness. And I thought it was fitting that we have thanksgiving this Thursday and the last three verses of this text fit quite nicely with that to close on thanksgiving. And as I was looking over Colossians a couple weeks ago, I kind of looked on the calendar. I'm like, oh, this might work out nicely. So although it's not, the whole thing's not a Thanksgiving message, you get a little bit of encouragement in being thankful right here. I love the holiday season or Christmas, Thanksgiving. I told Leah a couple weeks ago I wanted to put lights up on the house. I'm like, why don't we just start in, I don't know, September or can we have like three, four months of Christmas? Get the tree early, get the lights up. I don't know. I just enjoy it personally. Turkey, mashed potatoes, any kind of pie, any kind of desserts, football. As I've said before, I think trying to keep my eyes open after eating the meals, that's the hard part. But I grew up watching college football or football going to my uncle's and aunt's house or grandpa's house in uh, back in California. Riverside, some of you guys know where that's at. But that was like our little tradition. Eat a bunch of food, maybe play football outside for a little bit, come back inside, watch the game, and just fall asleep on the couch, and then hopefully wake up so that you can drive home a couple hours in traffic, just like everyone else. And so that's what we did. But how many of these holidays, and holiday just means holy day, actually, if you look up the etymology, so when someone tries to say, oh, happy holidays, because they don't want to say Christmas or happy Thanksgiving, whatever, 
they're just saying happy holy days. It actually goes back to Christianity. So they, they can't get around it no matter how hard they try. They think, oh, I'll say happy holidays. You're telling me happy holy day and that I'm celebrating, worshiping the Lord. So thank you. But it's easy for us during the holiday season, it's at least easy for me, these things can take center stage. And I even told Leah the other day, I go, when I was growing up, I never understood how people, the older people, which are now my age at the time, were like, I get stressed during the holidays or holidays, that's the worst part of the season of the year. And I'm like, why? And it's the hustle and the bustle and going to the mall and getting presents and making sure the dinner's ready and this and that. And I'm like, and I'm starting to see a little bit of it, but I still don't do all that much in terms of gifts. Leah, I'm like, Leah, take care of the gifts for the family. You know, if you, if you need help picking things out, I can't, wrap to, I can't wrap a gift. I can't do any of that. But that stuff can take center stage if we're not careful. So when we think of Thanksgiving or we think of Christmas or whatever holiday it may be, it should all be about Christ front and center. There is no thanksgiving without Jesus. Every day is thanksgiving because of him. There's no incarnation. There is no Christmas without Jesus. There's no peace. There's no joy. Any good thing that we have, it all points back to him. So we need to remember that. Keep him at the front and center. So there is a progression here in verses 15 through 17 as it talks about when the peace of Christ rules in your heart, I think naturally thankfulness will be there. If you're singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs and Christ's word is deep within your heart, what's going to pour forth? Thankfulness. And whatever you do, Paul summarizes, whatever you do in word or deed, anything, do it to the glory of God. Do it in the name of Christ. Do it with thankfulness through him. Everything give thanks whether you're sitting, whether you're standing, whether you're singing, whether you're praying, whether you're working, whether you're relaxing, whether you're eating a Thanksgiving meal and watching sports, or if you're the Apostle Paul writing this letter from prison, you give thanks. So I love how these things can almost culminate, these holidays and Thanksgiving or Christmas, a special day of Thanksgiving, but every day we should be showing gratitude to the Lord for he's good, he loves us, he saved us. He's sitting on his throne. He's coming back again for us. So I close with Psalm 104, 33 and 34. We want to be able to say, like the psalmist, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Let my meditation be pleasing to him. As for me, I shall be glad in the Lord. That's our hearts. That's our prayer to sing, give thanks, and be glad in him all our days.